We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, verse uh, 16 through 20. We are in a series called Jesus Follower, where we have been looking at all the different um, aspects of what it means to follow Jesus. We've, we've said, hey, our mission as a church is to love God and to love people and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We believe that's the, the call to every follower of Jesus, that we love God, that we abide in Christ, that we love a people and we connect with one another, and then we make disciples. We share the good news of Jesus. And um, an outflow of that, the application of that ministry or mission is uh, these five G's, these five practices, the things that we give uh, ourselves to. And, and you'll be glad to know, this is the last week. This is the last Sunday you hear me give this big review. And uh, here's the five G's. God time, one-on-one time with God. Gather time weekly like we're doing today, worshiping the Lord. Group time where you're, get, you're connected in some form of small group or discipleship group. Um, give time, where we live our lives as good stewards, uh, investing in the kingdom of God. And then go time, which is this week. These are the five practices. And, um, and, and I've really grown in this series. I hope you have. And this has helped us as a church establish our strategy for making disciples. That making disciples is more than just one thing. Um, that is more than just a discipleship group, that making disciples is a holistic view right here, that all of this is discipleship. This is what a disciple does. We practice the ways of Jesus. We imitate Christ. So today we're going to look at go time, and we're going to look out of Matthew uh, 28, verse 16 through 20, and we're going to read that, and then we will pray and unpack it together. So if you're there, just say, jump. Matthew 28, 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, um, Lord, I thank you for your presence among us today. And, um, and I thank you for your word, God. And, and I thank you that you've called us, that you've put out the call. Come and follow me. And I think you've made a way for us to know you and be reconciled to you and, and be forgiven by you. And Father, I just pray that today your word would come alive to us, that you'd teach us by your spirit, and that you'd guide me to rightly divide the word of truth. And just open our eyes to see God and help us to be doers of the word, not hearers only. So come, Lord, have your way with our time. We give you our attention this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> Thousands of people die every day. And many of those, um, many of those to spend an eternity separated 
uh, from God. Thousands of people. In the, in the seconds, in the minutes that we've been gathered today, hundreds of people gone uh, into eternity. Many separated from God. Many never even hearing the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ. There's one survey done that, that's, that said in Hancock County, the county in which our church dwells, in Hancock County, 69% of people claim no religion. Isn't that wild? 69% of people? There's another survey that showed that Hancock County was one of the most unchurched counties on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Isn't that wild? Um, is this why Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few? Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he may send laborers into the fields. Is Jesus' statement here in Matthew 28, is, is that an answer to that prayer? Pray to the Lord of harvest to send laborers. And then he says, go and make disciples. I'm sending you into the fields. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? The main idea today out of the text, Matthew 28, is that Jesus' followers must go. Jesus' followers must go. He says, go and make disciples. Now let's go back to verse 16. Most people, when they uh, study or preach this passage, they start at verse 18 forward. But the first couple verses, 16 and 17, are are very fascinating. In verse 16, he says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to a mountain to which Jesus had directed them. The eleven disciples. What's interesting here is because the disciples were always referred to as the twelve. So why didn't it just say, the disciples? Well, maybe. It's because they needed to highlight the fact that one had fallen away. That there's one disciple who fooled us all. There's one disciple who was pretending to be a true Jesus follower. They had no idea who it was. Whenever Jesus announced that someone was to betray them, no one knew who it was. He was really good at putting on a mask, at faking the belief. But then his actions proved that he was pretending that not all people who profess faith in Jesus are truly Jesus followers. Not all people who claim faith in Christ have true saving faith in Christ. And what we see from Matthew 28 is that one of the characteristics of a faithful follower of Jesus is that they go. He says, go and make disciples. Three things we see in this text about go time. The first one is that God's plan for go time. He says, go therefore 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Let's take it line by line. He says, go. Go. This is a command. And it's the idea uh, that you are to go somewhere, you're to go do something, but it's also the idea that it's in, in your going. As you're going about life, make disciples. Acts 1.8, Jesus uh, said before he ascended, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's a, it's a broadening and expansion of um, this disciple making. In Jerusalem, it's like right where you are, your hometown. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's like in your house and in your neighborhood. Let's start where you are. In your workplace, in your school, in your state, in your nation, and in the world, you are to go. To be sent out. To live on mission every day. I'm to view all things as an opportunity to share Christ with those around me. I'm to go. God didn't command the world to come to church. You know that? Nowhere is there a command. Go to church. World. But he did command the church to go to the world. To, to follow his example. See, Jesus didn't say, hey, if you want salvation, come to me. Good luck with that. No. He came. He left heaven. Thank God for that. So we go, but what, what is the mission? Where are we, what are we doing when we go? He says, make uh, disciples. Make disciples. Now a disciple is a, a learner or a student, um, someone who desires to imitate the lifestyle of another. It's, uh, it, I was telling our Bible study, I think it's past Wednesday or two Wednesdays ago, that um, this idea of a disciple in our context would be better understood as an apprentice. Someone who they give their life to learning the craft of, of someone. So you have a master, uh, say, electrician. You have a master electrician, and then you want to become a master electrician. So you find the master that you want to be like. I love their work. I love their work ethic. I love, their, I, love, I love everything about what they do. And so I'm going to approach them and say, hey, can I be your apprentice? I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to learn from you because I want to be like you. I want to learn how to do business like you. I want to learn how to, to deal with relationships like you. I want to learn how to um, do electricity like you. I want to learn everything you do because I want to be like you. Like as an apprentice, that's the idea here of a disciple. They spend time with that person seeking 
to learn their way so that they can imitate it themselves. Make disciples, learners, students, but students of Jesus Christ. We are to be disciples and learners, apprentices of Jesus. We are, to, we are to study the way of Jesus and spend time with Jesus in an effort for me to live like Jesus lived. For me to think and behave and feel like Jesus did. But who do we make disciples of? He, he says uh, right here, he says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. So everyone is included. This is a broad mission. You're to go to the nations. That's every religion, every culture, every race, everyone. This is quite a mission. What he's saying is you go out into the world and you go tell every person of every religion that they've been lied to. And that what they believe is false. And they need to trust in Christ for salvation. This is an overwhelming mission. It's broad. It's big. All nations. Everyone. Everywhere. We're to go baptizing. Baptizing. So, this is not... Um, private. This is not private conversion. This is a public declaration. That means that evangelism is part of discipleship. It's really the first step. If you're going to make a disciple, you have to first convert the person. The person has to uh, trust in Christ and believe on Christ to, to be a disciple of Christ. And so part of disciple making is evangelism is sharing your faith, sharing the good news of Jesus with those who don't yet believe, converting the unbeliever. That's the first step. But discipleship is not just a thing that we, like, it's not just about getting more church people to come to church. It's about reaching people who don't yet know him. And there's people in your community, 69% in Hancock County, they claim nothing. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. So discipleship, this is a Christian display of civil disobedience. This is a public declaration of my allegiance to King Jesus. That He is the one in whom I serve. It's, it's my public identification with the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's an undeniable way to say that I'm with Him that He is my Lord, that I trust in Him and He has transformed my life. So we baptize. If you want to get baptized, we'll baptize you. You sign up. we got a baptism right back here. It's hidden right now, but we'll open it up for you. Any day, any Sunday, any Sunday we will fill the tub. It's warm. It's, it's, it's warmer than it is in this room. Sometimes I just think about hanging out in the baptistry. I think that might be sacrilegious, but, uh, but it's nice. Um, the point is, this is the first step of a disciple. That this is not something that 
um, comes later. This is not a graduation ceremony, the baptism. The baptism is the first thing. And so if you've trusted in Christ and haven't been baptized, get baptized soon. And then we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That the, This is the belief or uh, the declaration of faith in the triune God. The triunity of our God. That the Trinity is essential to the Christian faith. It's not an optional belief. It's not like, I don't know about the Trinity. It's like, no, this is the God of the Bible. Notice it says you're baptized in the name, not the names. There's one name. There's one God. The name. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. This is the God in whom we serve. He says, teaching them to obey. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So part of this discipleship is so you're evangelizing and people are coming to faith and being baptized um, into the Christian faith, the belief in the one God in three persons, the Trinity, and we're teaching them then to obey. That teaching for knowledge is one thing, and that's good, and teaching for knowledge, though, is easy, right? Compared to teaching for obedience. Teaching for obedience is uh, difficult. It's easy to just learn things and go about your life. It's a little more difficult to learn things and then, and then begin to live out those things in your life. It's not just about knowledge. It's not, it's not like algebra, right? Like, um, I don't know anybody in algebra class. It's like, me and my buddies are getting around later. We are going to do some algebra. I'm going to apply this thing to my life. I don't know anybody who's been in algebra class like this is super practical. I can't wait to go and apply this to my life. I know there's uses for algebra, okay, guys? I get it. But I'll tell you, the only person I know who's ever applied algebra to their life is an algebra teacher, okay? But it's, it's more like, so it's not just knowledge, it's more like, it's like Dave Ramsey. You know Dave Ramsey? He's like a Christian financial guy. He like helps people, millions of people get out of debt. He has a whole system. He has all these baby steps. And one of the things that uh, critics of Dave Ramsey would say uh, about him is that his baby steps are counterintuitive. His baby steps are not um, necessarily in line with... Um, sound financial principles in the sense that one of the baby steps is that you pay off your debt. But what he encourages you to do, because naturally you would think, okay, let's pay off the thing with the most interest. Let's get rid of the thing that I'm paying the most interest on. But he says, no, don't do that. What you need to do is you pay off the smallest debt first. So pay off your debts smallest to largest. And he says the reason why is because 90% of your financial problems are behavior problems. They, they are not um, intellectual problems. They're not math problems. They're not philosophical problems. They are behavioral 
problem. And what he says is that if you begin to pray, if you pay off the smallest debt, there's something that gives you some momentum. You, you, you like, I got knocked one out. And then it gives me energy and motivation to knock the next one out. And it doesn't make financial sense, but it changes your behavior. There's a lot of people who know the right thing, but it doesn't actually change their behavior. That's why whenever we do something stupid, we say, man, I knew better. It's like, yeah, you knew better, but you didn't do better. Because there's a difference. And so his whole thing, although he has critics against him, his whole thing is about changing people's behavior to get them in a financially healthy place. He is about obedience, application, change of life, more than just sound knowledge. See, teaching to obey takes more than a classroom. It takes a relationship. It takes an investment of your time. So he says, therefore, go and teach them to observe, to obey all that I've commanded you. So what's the content of the teaching? The content is the commands of Christ, all that Jesus commanded, or the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God, the words of God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. That it's the word of God that changes us and equips us to mature. It's the word of God that is the basis for our teaching. It's not our opinions it's not our clever ideas. It's not all the things we think that people need. No, it is the Word of God that is the basis of our teaching, of our training. We hold high the Word of God in this church. We, we believe that we submit to the authority of the Word of God. We allow the Word of God to guide our teachings. It's, let us be like Paul when he left the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, verse 26 and 27. He says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am. So he's leaving the church. He's like, see you later. I'm, I'm gone. He says, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He's like, I'm out of here and I'm innocent of your blood because I did not Keep from teaching you the whole counsel. I've taught it all. I gave it to you as it is, paraphrased. If you all die and go to hell, it's not my fault. I tried. And let us be like that. Where if, if people go to hell, it's not for lack of our trying. Why don't people go, you think? Why don't people go? One author noted these four things. The first one is just ignorance. Why don't people go? Because they're ignorant. They don't, they're, I'm, supposed to, I'm supposed to go? I'm supposed to tell somebody? I didn't know. Um, uh, I, I didn't realize that this was a command to me. I thought that was something for pastors. I thought pastors were supposed to go, and, 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 but not me. I can't believe that that's for me. No, you have been given, you have been reconciled to God, 
and, and given the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.18. So you've been reconciled, and then he's like, okay, now that you've been reconciled, I'm going to give you the ministry, and you go reconcile others. So after today, none of you can claim ignorance, okay? Unless you sleep through the whole thing, and then your neighbor's going to go and tell you about it, so then you won't be ignorant anymore. So first thing is ignorance. The second thing is uh, insecurity. It's the fear of man. It's the lack of fear of God. Insecurity. I want to be liked. I don't want to be rejected. I don't know what they're going to say about me. I don't know what, how, how they're going to respond. I, I value the opinion of people more than I value the approval of God. So I'm insecure. And believe me, I, don't, I like to be liked. And I don't like to be rejected. And that can be a reason why we fail to go. Insecurity, indifference. This is just a lack of love for God and for fellow people. Indifference, I don't care. I'm good. I don't love God enough, and therefore I don't love people enough. Because a love for God motivates a love for people in going. And so I'm just indifferent. I'm just apathetic. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care. I'm just asleep spiritually. Let it not be so with us. Forgive us, Lord. Finally is uh, inconvenience. I'm just too busy. I'm too busy. I love myself too much. I don't have time for that. I'm too busy. And I think this is probably the one that most of us fall into. I mean, it's not that we don't love people, and it's not that we don't know we're supposed to go. It's just like life is busy. Life is busy. It's the whole idea of the Good Samaritan. You have this guy who's been beat up and, and robbed and thrown into the ditch, and you have all these nice religious people just passing him up. They see him, and they're like, oh, I'm too busy. i got to go to synagogue. Like, I'm just too busy. You have one person who takes time out of his day and helps. Having to be a Samaritan. That's why we call him the Good Samaritan. He helped the guy. And most of us, it's just, I'm too busy. I, I, I'm, I don't have time for the inconvenience of going. Believe me, I, I think this is probably the most challenging one for me. Like, I've got a young family, got three kids. Two of them look just alike. Right? It's always busy. Things to do. These are reasons why we don't go. Because I, I don't know. I'm ignorant. Insecurity. Indifference. Inconvenience. But what we have to understand is that the Great Commission is not optional. It's not optional. It's not called the Great Suggestion. Wouldn't that be something? Here's the Great Suggestion. You guys, may, maybe you will go if you have some time. If you're not doing anything later, just go a little bit. No, it's like it is called the Great Commission. It's the, it is a commandment that Jesus' followers must go. There's no exception clauses. There's no like, hey, you know, you go unless you're uncomfortable with that. Go unless you're busy doing something else. No. No exceptions. 
that, that we have been entrusted with the gospel, with the good news. We have been entrusted with this message, the message to open their eyes so that they may turn from the darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in Christ. It's Acts 26, 18. That's, our, that's the message that has been entrusted to us. Like, think about it. Jesus. He left, entrusting to us his mission. And if we don't do it, who will? This go time is uh, not optional, and it's fueled by love. It's fueled by love. That our love for God fuels our love for others and wanting to see them experience eternal life. Just think about the breakfast that Peter had with Jesus. You remember this breakfast after Jesus rose, he prepared breakfast, and he said, Peter, do you love me? You know, three times he did this. Do you love me? Peter says, yes, and he says, feed my sheep, you know? Feed my sheep. The idea there is that, that love for God, love for Jesus, will work its way out in love for others, in bringing Jesus to others, and feeding the sheep, if you will. That love for Jesus produces love for the lost. Maybe we need, maybe we need to pray. Maybe you're like, I, I, I know, I know I'm not ignorant, I know, but I just don't feel it. And how can you make yourself feel something? It's like, maybe we just pray. Maybe we just pray, God, would you give me a heart? As I seek to obey and I take steps out in faith, would you give me a heart for the lost? Lord, would you break my heart for what breaks yours? Would you help me, Jesus? Charles Spurgeon says this, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. This is God's plan for go time. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. But this whole plan feels impossible. The magnitude of this plan, if you're like me, you're like, okay, I, I know who I am, and I see the greatness of the plan, the mission. What do I do with that? Well, that's why we need God's power for go time. God's power for go time. Look at verse 18. He says, And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So therefore, Jesus has the authority to give us such a great mission. He's like, everywhere you go, you can be confident that I have the authority to do work there. That I have the authority to change lives there. That I have the power. I'm going to empower this mission for you. And we need God's power because we are weak. 
We are weak. Look at verse 16 and 17 again. It says, the, the, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Like, what? Some doubted. You have these disciples. They spent three years with Jesus. He rose from the grave. They're all seeing him. Many have seen him. Many have touched him, eaten with him. Learned. He, was, he was walking around after the resurrection for 40 days. Upwards of 500 people witnessed his resurrected body at one time. And, and so now they're in this moment. The 11 are with him. They're worshiping him. But some are like, I don't know. Some are a little skeptical. Some are a little hesitant. Some doubt a little bit. So here's, here's the crazy thing about this. Jesus still entrusted them with his mission. Isn't that crazy? That Jesus sees these, this group of guys who they're trying their best, they're worshiping, but some are like, I don't know. And he's like, he still entrusts the mission to them. Realizing their weakness. Realizing their faults and where they fall short, they, he still entrusts the mission to them. And this side of heaven, we will all struggle with doubts in our belief. Like, I don't doubt. No, I don't doubt. I don't, I've never doubted. You're not thinking hard enough about these things. If you have not questioned and wrestled and doubted some things, if you weren't hesitant, like, you're not thinking hard enough about the implications of all these things. That this side of heaven, no belief is perfect. No one has perfect belief. Well, yes, I have perfect belief. I mean, you wouldn't say that. But say, I've never doubted. This would say, I'm perfect belief here. Perfect belief. Reality is that we all struggle in many ways. We all have weaknesses. No one is perfect. But God uses the weak things of the world to display his power. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29, he says, For consider your calling, this thing that we've been called to, this great mission, consider it, brothers. Um, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Yeah, he, he uses you in your weakness because he knows then you can't brag about yourself. You got to realize your weakness so he can display his power in God displayed his power in Paul later in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where Paul was struggling with a thorn in the flesh, and he prayed and prayed about it, this area of weakness that he struggled with. And he says he got a, a message from God that says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. So it is the power of God that that enables us to accomplish this great mission. That yes, we see our um, lack, we see our insecurities, and we 
See the greatness of what God's called us to. And we're like, no way. And he's like, yes way. I'm going to empower you. So whenever awesome things happen, you can't boast about how great you are. Only about how great I am. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. See, authority is a little bit different than power. Um, this is jurisdiction. Authority over everything. On a sports team, you might have a, a real powerful player. You might have a real talented player. Um, but there's someone on the field that supersedes his authority, right? It's the ref. The ref is not glamorous. The ref has no deals with sneaker companies, right? But the ref has the authority over the field the authority to stop you in your tracks. He has the authority to throw you out of the game. He has the authority to make calls. So it is, it is not just the power or the talent, it is the authority over it all. Let's look at the authority of Jesus in his ministry. The authority of Jesus summarized in Mark 2. He shows us that he has the authority to forgive sins. Mark 1, he's taught with astonishing authority. They're like, we've never heard anybody teach like this. He teaches as one with authority. Matthew 4, he is the authority to rebuke the devil. Uh, Mark 1, he is the authority over unclean spirits. He is the authority over forces of nature. In Matthew 4, he heals diseases. And in John 2, he turns the water into wine. In Mark 4, he calms the storm. He is the authority over nature. He's on a boat, there's a storm, he's like, shh, and it stops. Have you ever tried that before? I've hoped I had that power one time, right? You go, it's stormy, it's raining when it's not supposed to rain you outside, and you're like, shh, and nothing happens, right? When Jesus did it, it just, it got quiet. It stopped. He has the authority over nature. He has the authority over life and death, raising people from the dead, John 11, he ruled over his own death and resurrection, John 10. He says, no, I, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down, and I will rise it up again. He has full authority over final judgment, John 5, and authority over all flesh to grant eternal life, John 17. And all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And I'm, I'm with him. That seems like a good plan to me. He has the authority. I'm just going to go with him. Let's walk with him. and We'll be okay. For a mission this big, we need the power that only God can provide. He doesn't just send us out with a mission and is like, good luck, guys. Hope it works out for you. See you on the other side. No, he's like, I have the authority that if I send you out to do something, I have the power to make it happen. We're not reliant on our own power, but on his. And finally, he gives us the promise of God's presence for go time. God's presence for go time. Verse 20, he says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Notice he says, I am with you, not I will be with you. One person says, this is not a promise, this is a fact. 
Right? This is not a promise of something he will do. This is a fact of a reality that we live in. That I will, I am with you. I am going with you. You're not in this alone. And my presence is with you. This is, reminds me of, the, of in Exodus where, where, where God's like, hey, if y'all want to go do this alone, I'll see you later. And Moses is like, no. If you don't go, we don't go. Listen to this, Exodus 33, 15 through 16. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. If you're not going, we're not going. He says, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight and your people? Is it not your going with us so that we are distinct and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? He's like, if you're not going, we're not going because it's your presence that makes us distinct among all people. It's the presence of God in our life that distinguishes us from all other people. He says, I am with you. I am with you. You don't have to be afraid. I'm going. I'm coming. I, um, I've, told, I've shared with you guys my call to be the pastor here before, and so some of this is old, old story to you, but I just love sharing it because, you know, I only have one story, y'all, so it's what you get. Uh, so, but um, there was a time I was a youth pastor, became the interim pastor because I was the only person on staff, so I began to preach here on Sunday mornings, and I'm 22, 23 years old, previous pastor was here for 15 years. He was 70 years old. The search committee asked me if I would put in my resume to be the pastor. They pretty much asked me if I would consider the job. And so I am praying there uh, about whether or not to, to even apply for the job. Like I, I like the, new, the youth pastor thing. I, I was newly married. She likes being a youth pastor's wife. It's a good gig, right? And um, so I was praying about it, overwhelmed with the reality of I'm 22 years old. The majority of the congregation is in their 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, I don't know what I'm doing. I wasn't trained for this. I'm not old enough. I'm not experienced enough. I was praying this in my office, trying to decide whether or not to even apply for the job. And I'm praying this prayer, and I was like, God, you're going to have to say something to me, and I did what I don't suggest anyone do. I don't do it often. I don't know if I've done it since, but I did it this one time for some weird reason. I just played Bible roulette. I just threw open the Bible. I was like, I'll just start reading wherever it falls open. So I threw open the Bible, start reading, and it just happens to be Jeremiah 1. Now, if you know Jeremiah 1, you know where it's going. But Jeremiah 1, verse 4, says, Now the word of the Lord came to me. This came to Jeremiah saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before I consecrated you, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So, Jer so God calls Jeremiah to be a prophet. And this is Jeremiah's response. Then I said, Ah! <laughs> Lord! <laughs> That's what it says. Ah, Lord God! Behold! I do not know how to speak. I'm only a youth. And I'm telling you, I had one of those like goosebump moments. 
I was like, I just prayed that. I was like, I don't know how to speak. I'm not equipped for this. I'm not trained for this. I don't know what I'm doing here. And I'm too young. I'm only a youth. I don't know what I'm, like, what's going on. I'm like, he, that's the prayer I just prayed. Verse 7. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I am only a youth. For to whom all I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Here's the ticket. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with to deliver you, declares the Lord. And I know that's God's call to Jeremiah, but I'm telling you, in that moment, he used it to speak to me. And I was like, okay, God, I'll, I'll move forward. And I'll just trust that you're with me. And I'm telling you, it's been, it's been a crazy ride. And I felt over my head most of the time. But the promise that God's presence, the reality, the fact that God's presence is with me, and that whatever he calls me to, he's going to go there with me. And he's going to empower me. And he's not leaving me alone. He's not hanging me out high and dry. We are going in this together. That's the thing that sustains the follower of Jesus as they're seeking to be obedient to the Great Commission. As they're stepping out in faith with full understanding of your own insecurities and weaknesses. The reality, I'm doing this as long as you're with me, God. And he says, I'm going to go with you. And look at this, go time starts in the presence of God. Just look back at verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. When they saw him, it's, it's going to be with Jesus seeing Jesus, trusting Jesus, obeying Jesus, and worshiping Jesus. It, it's that, that's what is the root of go time. That really go time is the outworking, the overflow of all the other times. You have God time where you're spending time one-on-one -on -one daily with God, seeking to see Christ. And when you see Christ, you trust Him. And as you trust Him, you obey Him. And as you obey Him, you worship Him. That It all stems from the God time. And then we're gathering for worship time, gather time. Doing this with each other in group time. Living a life of generosity like Jesus in give time. And the overflow of that is go time. That whenever you see Christ, here they saw Him. And they worshipped Him. Whenever you see Christ and you trust Him and you obey Him and you worship Him, you will share Him. You will. And so maybe you're like, I don't know where to start. Where do, I, where do I go? I mean, maybe start with God time. Start with getting in the Scriptures daily until you see Christ. But then don't just fold it up, okay? Don't just fold it up. Because here's, 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 my, 
Here's my temptation as a preacher. Here's what happens whenever I just read the Bible just devotionally. I'm reading the Bible, and what happens when I see something cool, I immediately think about how I'm going to teach that to somebody, right? It's just what happens in my brain. I'm like, man, that's cool, and I think about how I'm going to preach it. Man, that'll preach. And that's skipping some steps. Whenever you see Christ in the text, whenever he speaks to you in the text, the first thing is not go time. The first thing is how, how do I trust that? And how do I obey that? How do I apply that to my life? How does that elicit in me worship for the king? And then yes, I will go and tell others. What would it look like if we did this? If we obeyed Jesus' command to go and make disciples? I've shared this with you before. Like, what would it look like if we want, like, one person a year? Now, we're encouraging um, discipleship groups, so then it'll be more than one person a year. But say you just did one person a year. You found one person each year to intentionally disciple. If 100 of us in the room today did that in 2023, then there'd be 200 of us in 2024, 400 of us in 2025, 800 of us in 2026, 1,600 of us making one disciple each a year in 2027, and 3,200 of us in 2028. So in six years, every person that's more than the population of Kill, Mississippi. Every person in our city would have been discipled, no one falling through the cracks. If we just did what Jesus commissioned us to do. I've done the numbers, and in less than, I mean, these are all idealistic numbers. If we all did this, just discipling one person a year, in less than 34 years, the population of the planet, 8 billion people, would have been discipled in 34 years, in your lifetime, in one lifetime, in one generation. The entire world could be discipled if we just obeyed the Great Commission. This is his plan, to reach the world. So what should you do? Share Jesus as you go. Share Jesus. You're not responsible for the results. The win is sharing Jesus. That's the win. That's the obedience. You're not responsible for the results. Leave the results up to God. You just do what he commanded you to do. So who's your one? Who's your one? Who's the one person that you need to be praying for their salvation? Just one person. Who's the one you need to be praying for their salvation and praying that God will give you opportunities, open up doors to share the gospel with them? Who's the one person that you are helping grow in their faith that you're in some form of discipleship relationship with? Who's that one person? Maybe you're a few steps ahead of them in your walk with Jesus. Who's that one person? Hey, who's the one person who is discipling you, who's helping you grow in your faith? It's a both thing. You have input going into you, someone pouring into you. You have output, you're, going, you're pouring into someone else. Who's the one person? Who's the one person? 
hey, we're going to have a discipleship group leader training on December 7th. You can be equipped to do this. You can be empowered by God's presence. Don't be afraid. He's going to go with you. At the end of this series, Jesus Follower series, man, we've, we've heard a lot. We've heard a lot. And it's been challenging. And I think we all need to ask ourselves, as we reflect, am I truly following Jesus? Am I truly following Jesus? Would I be counted as one of the 11? Am I truly, faithfully following Jesus? Not in my own strength, of course, by the grace of God and his power through me, but am I, by the grace of God, truly following Jesus? If you are, you will go. Would you bow your head with me? Father in heaven, I thank you for um, your presence with us. God, I thank you for your power through us. Lord, I just pray as each one of us have our doubts, have our faults, have our weaknesses. Maybe there's different people in here who struggle with the different reasons we don't go. Ignorance or insecurity or indifference. Or inconvenience. Father, I pray that you'd empower us to give ourselves to this. To be obedient to the Great Commission. To go. To all nations. Making disciples. We can only do it through your strength. We pray that we would see our community and our state and our nation and our world reach with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ because we went. Father, I just pray that your spirit would speak to each heart individually. Spirit of God, please just guide us as we seek to be obedient to you. Give us a heart for the lost. Give us your heart for the lost. I pray if there's anyone in here who hasn't trusted you for salvation, that today would be the day they trust you as Lord and Savior, as King of their life and experience eternal life in Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sin, reconciliation to a holy and good God. Spirit of God, do it only you can do. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.